Thank you, Craig. Cool. Thanks, Timmy. Sweet. Oh, good morning, uh, Church. Good to see you. Uh, yes, yeah, so like Tammy said, we're just carrying on with the series called The Genius of Jesus. So I'm going to start with a really easy question this morning, just for you to kind of kick things off. Uh, and the question is, what is power? Now, I don't want any smart, smart remarks from the electricians uh, that are here, okay? Because I knew there would be plenty of those. But um, we're talking about power in regards to human relationships and stuff like that. So feel free to toss out some words that you think sort of help define, help define power. A mother's look at her children. Okay, that's, that's, I hadn't considered that, but that's probably hit it on the head. Any others? Or when the wives look at the husbands. Okay, All right, you guys are clearly well experienced in terms of power. Anything else? Anything? Authority, yeah, okay, cool. Influence, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. What? Status. Okay, yep, good, good, good. Good job. Status. So uh, authority, influence, status, strength, perhaps, force, uh, mana, possibly, position, privilege, those sorts of things. But when you kind of boil all that down, and this isn't you know, the uh, Oxford English Dictionary definition, but this is sort of my version, power is kind of the ability to make something happen, right? The influence, you know, when the mother looks at the kid and it's like, that should not happen, that's, you know, that's mother's power or wives or whatever. So, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to think about some powerful people that you might know of. So I'm going to put some people up on the screen and I'm going to basically just ask you to have a bit of a confer with someone that you're sitting beside. Who do you think is the most powerful person in New Zealand out of this list? Okay, so Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister, Dame Cindy Kiro, the Governor-General, uh, Adrian Orr, the Reserve Bank Governor, he's been on TV a bit lately. <clears throat> Mark Robinson, the NZ uh, Rugby CEO. Hilary Barry, TV presenter, a lot of influence. Or Sir Peter Jackson, film director. You've got 30 seconds. And <clears throat> I am actually going to... I really want you to kind of make your case for whoever you think is the most powerful person. And if I think your case is good, I will give you some chocolate. Okay? So that's... That's the incentive. So, confer, con uh, discuss, chat for 30 seconds, and then we'll see where we end up. All right, go. You obviously got a few ideas, which is good. Very, very good. Anybody want to be brave and uh, say who they think the most powerful person in New Zealand is from that list of six? I like you, Arnold. I'll give you some chocolate. Oh, close. Okay. Anybody else can beat Arnold's um, justification for Hillary Berry? What's that? Have heard of her. That's right. She gets a lot of uh, positive international press. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take that, Hayley. That's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, anybody else? Because I've got more questions along this line. But if you think you can beat Hilary Barry or Jacinda Ardern with your person, feel free. Yes? Yes? 
The Governor General, sorry. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Queen's representative. Okay, that's, that's good. I mean, obviously you're not a Republican, so uh, that's cool. All right, we'll move on. Right, move on. So that's New Zealand. Some people you think are the most powerful in New Zealand. What about the most powerful people in the world? Okay, so Biden, the President of America. Putin, President of the Russian Federation. Xi Jinping, the President of People's Republic of China. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky, President of Ukraine. Tim Cook, President of Apple. Uh, sorry, not President, CEO of Apple, which is a company which has a lot of, you know, a billion users. Or Pope Francis, leader of the Roman Catholic Church across the world. Okay, same thing. 30 seconds. Discuss. Decide. Convince. Taking it up to the next level now, aren't we? Okay, so who do you reckon? Who is the most powerful person in the world from that list of six? Influence, uh, ability to make things happen, etc., etc. Joe, Joe Biden? Yeah, he loves ice cream. He loves ice cream. Okay, all right, that's good. So is that, is that why he's the most powerful person in the world? Not the, not the strongest argument I've heard, but, you know, we're in church, so we've got to be generous. Murray. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so if you missed some of that, uh, President of China, made in China, you know, it's branded on everything, as well as population and other kind of economic and potential military powers. So, yeah... I'll, that's a pretty pretty good argument. Anybody else? Russell. Uh, yeah, tell me why. Right. So that, so his his power is almost kind of by default negative. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that. Plus, I think there's a, I think if you, and I'm not, you know, being disrespectful here, but if you're if you're an Apple user, um, they've been described as being more more than customers, more like fans. You know, they are really kind of loyal to that product and that company. Okay, right, that's good. You're pretty good. New Zealand, most powerful people. World, most powerful people. Let's go to the top shelf. The most powerful people in history. Okay, so I've narrowed it down to six. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Muhammad, Genghis Khan, uh, Napoleon, or Queen Victoria. Now, obviously, this list is not exhaustive because there's been a lot of people that have lived, but this is kind of six which you have to choose from. Okay, so the most powerful person from this list, this is your last chance to win chocolate. So if, you, if you're in it for the chocolate, make a good case. Okay, some muted discussion. I'm going to give you 20 more seconds. Okay, time's up. All right. 
Most powerful people. Warren, you were pretty keen out of the blocks. Yep. She was in charge of the British Empire, which at the at the peak was was pretty high, included India and stuff. Don't know if she married multiple times, but anyway, I will give you a chocolate because I'm just feeling good at throwing stuff. Okay, anybody else? Why is that? Yep, yep, yeah, he didn't make it fully to Asia, but he got, he got pretty pretty long way. Anybody else? Yeah, Derek. Okay. Yes. Massive, a very ongoing, so kind of almost more powerful than a, a land empire, you know, it had ongoing, ongoing implications. All right, good, good. Anybody else on this side? Yep, Ron. He totally did, which was massive and couldn't really control it. But anyway, heads up. All right, there we go. Okay, that's pretty good. Wow. Helen, did you just go boosh and catch that? Like a boss. Okay. All right. Helen, I should have put your name on the list. So what you've sort of seen is that a lot of those people that we've looked at, and obviously, like I said, you know, it's not everybody that we could have considered, but certainly those people have been powerful. They've commanded armies, they have built empires, they have conquered other people groups, they've held political prestige and social status, and their decisions have literally influenced millions of people's lives. And so much of human history, that's what power has been uh, all about. Across cultures, across continents, power has been about conquest and control. And that was the world that Jesus Christ entered in 2,000 years ago. But what Jesus did was radically different. His attitude, his approach to power really kind of changed the game. It kind of flipped the switch on how power was defined. So Jesus taught that power was not about position, not about privilege, not about status, not about control. Power was about service and sacrifice. These are some of the things that he said. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Or those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Or in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, But among you it will be different. Those who are greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. And so Jesus radically redefined power. He he reframed what people thought a powerful person looked like. And this was a stroke of genius. But like most geniuses, Jesus wasn't recognized for his genius in his day. And I'll tell you why, because during the first century, the Jewish people were doing it tough. They had been conquered and absorbed into the Roman Empire, and and for a proud people group like the Jewish people, they just felt utterly powerless. And so there was this really deep-seated hatred and hostility between the Jews and the Romans. So not only was it bad enough to be occupied and oppressed, but for the Jewish people, 
they, they felt that the Romans represented everything that they despised. So the Roman emperor, he was worshipped as a god. And for the Jewish people, this was idolatry. And on top of that, the Roman culture was really hedonistic. They were indulgent, they were immoral, and their cruelty and their coercion just showed a, a lack of respect for any other people and places. And so after centuries of oppression, the Jews just longed for freedom. They just longed for the day when the Roman foot would be off the Jewish necks. And so many Jewish people felt that revenge and revolution was, was really their only option. If only the Jewish people would rise up, then they could powerfully resist the Romans, and then they would be free from tyranny. And so that's the backdrop, that's the setting, that's the context that Jesus turned up in. And against that, that very tense backdrop, Jesus started teaching and speaking about peace, of all things. This is what he said. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, you're welcome to turn there or swipe there or whatever. But this is what we read. Jesus said this, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from everyone, anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible, we sort of superimpose our assumptions onto the text. And we forget that democracy was not a popular political system in ancient times. It pretty much didn't exist. And so Jesus was born into a world of oppression. In fact, Jesus and his people were essentially captives in their own country. And so when Jesus is teaching people to, to love their enemies, he's really going against the grain. I mean, for most Jews, they were seeking revenge and retaliation against the Romans, but, but Jesus taught that there was another way. There was a fresh perspective on power and on freedom, and it wasn't about violence, and it wasn't about coercion or control or abuse. This is, this is what he said. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek as well. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Now, now when we read that, it's, it's quite easy to dismiss Jesus as someone who's just got his head in the clouds, you know? Like maybe he's some sort of half-baked hippie and he's always going on about peace and love and stuff. I mean, his people were doing it tough. But actually what Jesus is saying here is really grounded in the daily realities of his people. These are not hypothetical situations for his listeners. So if a Roman soldier was really spoiling for a fight, all he would need to do would be to slap 
a young Jew in the face. Because the soldier was not allowed to critically injure someone unless they were provoked. And so that slap in the face would be a deliberate act of disrespect. It would be an attempt to to diminish Jewish power and dignity. And so Jesus is saying, when you courageously stand against that, when you offer your enemy the other cheek, you actually reveal that it is not your power that is being diminished. And so I probably need to, I need to say that like, turning the other cheek does not mean that you just get walked over. Especially if, if you are in an unhealthy relationship or, or an abusive environment or something. Abuse is always wrong and it needs to be called out. And, and if that's the case, then please feel free to get help. But what Jesus is highlighting here is that those who are truly powerful are those who have strength of character. They have an inner freedom to stand strong despite their circumstances or their situations. And perhaps someone who knew what it was like to turn the other cheek was a man called Nelson Mandela. He, uh, in, the, in the 1960s, was sentenced to life imprisonment in South Africa for his role in some anti-government sabotage. And so for the next 27 years of his life was spent in a, a cramped cell. During the rainy season, it was damp, it was cold. He had no bed, so he had to sleep on, on a straw mat on a concrete floor. He had no pyjamas. They were only available to the white prisoners. And, and he spent his days breaking rocks in the beating South African sun. During his imprisonment, he missed out on raising his children. He missed out on attending the funeral of his mother and of his eldest son. In fact, for many years, he was only allowed to write and to receive one letter every six months. And he was only allowed to meet with one visitor for 30 minutes once a year. But despite those really terrible conditions, Nelson Mandela stood strong. In the face of racism and oppression, he was able to turn the other cheek. And what's fascinating is that Mandela was officially released on the 11th of February, 1990. But on that day, the world discovered that while he'd been in prison for 27 years, he had always been free. Because four years after his release, he was elected as the first black president of South Africa. And instead of using his new power to seek revenge uh, and retaliation, he used his power to heal the past. He chose to forgive his oppressors, and he actually set up a commission for racial justice and equality. Now, hopefully you never have to go through the horrors of imprisonment or or racism or anything like that, but chances are there are times that you've been wronged. There are times that you have been made to feel powerless. But what Jesus encourages us is to never let the actions of another lead you to be less. Whatever power someone may hold over you, they are powerless to change your character. And so maybe that's why after telling his listeners to turn the other cheek, Jesus says, if someone's going to sue you, they're going to take the shirt off your back, you should give them your coat as well. (laughs) And you can just imagine the listening crowds, just the disbelief they'd have, like, come on, Jesus, 
what is going on? If someone is going to take something from, from me that they don't deserve, why would I give them more? But this is really where the genius of Jesus starts to shine through. Jesus knew that the best way to confront greed was through generosity. And generosity has nothing to do with your income level. I know people who have lived in poverty and are incredibly generous. And I know people who are incredibly wealthy and they have lacked generosity. Generosity is all about an attitude. And according to Jesus, it's actually the generous who are the powerful. Because you may not be free to do less than is required of you. But you are always free to do more. For example, you may not be free to turn up late to work, but you are free to show up early. You may have to attend school, but you could do more than just attend school. You could assist your teacher in the classroom. It'd be really, really helpful. You might have a whole list of chores and jobs that you've got to do around the house, and you could choose to do those joyfully and with gratitude. You might have family members that depend on you for the basics, but you can go above and beyond in your level of care. You're probably legally obligated to pay your taxes, but no one can stop you from being generous with your money. And see, that's the crazy thing. Like Generosity confuses the greedy. When someone wants to exert power over you by taking something of yours, and instead of holding tightly to that thing, you, you openly give it to them, in fact, you give them more than what they're wanting, you totally mess with their head. And actually, their attitude of generosity is really countercultural. In the Western world, particularly, it's all about defending and protecting and, and holding tightly to our stuff. But Jesus calls us to a better way a way of generosity and a way of goodness. There's an American author and activist called Erwin McManus, and he puts it like this. If you are convinced that God is always more generous than you, it becomes easier to be generous with what you have. And Jesus is talking about generosity, not just with our stuff, but with our time and our energy, and, and particularly our service to others. So his final challenge is a real-world scenario for his listeners. See, the Romans were famous for their roads. And along many of the main roads of the Roman network, there were, there were stones. And these stones were markers which measured out the distance of a mile. We know them now as milestones, right? They measured out a mile. And so if a Roman soldier, or according to Roman law, a Roman soldier had the ability to force any Jewish person to carry his pack one mile. Now, if you want to know the distance, that's basically here down to the warehouse. Okay, That's a distance of one mile. And if a Jewish person refused to carry the soldier's pack, they could be arrested and then flogged for their refusal. So what you've got to appreciate is this is just far more than an inconvenience, right? This is a, a deliberate attempt to diminish the power of the Jews. And, and these packs were really heavy. Like historians estimate that with all the gear, some of these packs would have been 20 kgs or more, which is it's a fair weight. So that experience would have been utterly humiliating for the Jewish person. Because not only do they have to walk a mile carrying the pack, and, and they're, they're walking more like a mule than like a man, 
Then they've got to walk a mile back to where they started. And this time they're not carrying a heavy pack, but they're carrying the shame of being forced to work like a slave. But even in those really difficult circumstances, Jesus says there is a different path to power. When a soldier demands you carry a pack a mile, carry it two miles. In other words, when you are forced to serve, let serving be your force. Do more than is required of you. Do more than is expected of you. And can you just imagine the look on that Roman soldier's face? When they get to that milestone, and the soldier says, look, okay, I'll have my pack back now, thanks. And the Jewish person insists on carrying it another mile. No, no, it's okay, I'm good. I'm not tired. Clearly, clearly you can't carry your own pack. I'll go the extra mile for you. I mean, who has the real power in that moment? Humility is always more powerful than arrogance. Generosity is always more powerful than greed. And service is always more powerful than obligation. And that's why real power never needs to flex a muscle. Real power never needs to wear a uniform. Real power never needs to point a gun or accumulate wealth. And Jesus reveals here in his genius moment that the power that is unseen is always greater than the power that needs to be seen. You know, this, this radical approach to power that Jesus has, has had a huge influence on our world. See, in ancient times, <clears throat> the powerful people did not believe that they should use their power for the good of others. If you went up to Alexander the Great and you're like, hey, Alex, because, you know, you'd be on a pretty first-name basis with him. Hey, Alex, you need to provide care for your subjects. He would just look at you with utter ridicule. Or if you went up to Julius Caesar and said, you know, Julius, you should really consider the people that you're conquering, he would just shake his head. Or if you went up to Genghis Khan and said, look, all this power that you have, you should use that for the greater good, he would just look at you like you were utterly absurd. Because in the ancient world, the powerful people had an absolute right to do whatever they wanted. The ancient rulers believed that their power was for conquering and controlling for their benefit. But Jesus turned all that upside down and he started a conversation around how we use power. That's why in the Western world particularly, our modern expectation is that our governments and our leaders should be protecting the poor. They should be helping the homeless and the hungry. That, that racial equality, that, that social justice, they are important goals. And Jesus taught that power should be used not to overpower, but to empower. That those with power should show care and compassion for others to serve and support the common good. And that has been filtering down through the centuries to many issues that are, that are significant today. The Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, even in New Zealand with the Waitangi Tribunal and reparations for historic injustices for the Maori people. All of those have been influenced by Jesus' idea that power should be used for the good of others. Power is not about controlling, but about creating. 
So you say, well, that's very nice. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? We're not the most powerful people in the world. I didn't put any of your faces up on the screen. We're not even the most powerful people in New Zealand or even the region. Like Our decisions that we make don't affect thousands or millions of people. Sometimes we don't even have the power to get our kids to brush their teeth. But I think all of us have influence. All of us have the ability to make things happen. Maybe it's at the workshop, in the office, at school, out on the green, with your sports team, with your neighbours, with your friends, with your family. We all have influence. So I just want to um, invite you to do something. If you've got a cell phone, pull it out. It's church, so you're allowed to. And um, I want you to go to your contacts. And probably on your contacts, either at the top or at the bottom, it'll tell you how many contacts you have in your phone. Now, this is not a competition, okay? But I'm just curious, you know, if you can find that total list. If you don't have a phone that adds it up for you, don't start counting because it could take a while. Does anyone have more than, um, <clears throat> more than 100 contacts in their phone? Okay, good. More than 200? 300? Oh, popular. Okay. 500 people in your cell phone? <laughs> All right. Okay, I actually have two more bits of chocolate, so I know you're always desperate, so I'm going to give you one for over 500. Anthony, oh, great catch. Okay, the average person has about 150 cell phone contacts in their phone, right? So you're probably somewhere in that range, 100, 200, whatever. As you scroll through that list, you, you may not have a, a powerful position over many, uh, maybe even all of those people. But that's not what real power is. All of us have the ability to use our power <clears throat> to empower others. We can show humility when we're wronged or when we've been deliberately diminished. We can be generous in the face of greed and we can serve because we want to, not because we have to. And so maybe for you, showing power means showing self-restraint at work when that colleague is just saying totally untrue stuff. Maybe it's about being generous with your money to a charity or some really good organisation. Maybe it's about graciously helping your ageing parents sort out their affairs. Or maybe it's giving an afternoon of your time to just help out a, a, a neighbour who's doing it tough, tidy up their backyard. But when we do that sort of stuff, which is really simple, we are showing that we are using our power for good. We are constructing rather than controlling. We are empowering rather than overpowering. And we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. So here's a question for you to, to ponder. What would you do if you found out that you had ultimate power in the universe? I'm not talking about you being the Prime Minister of New Zealand or being the President of a country. I'm talking about like King of everything. You know, absolute authority over everything. What would be the first thing that you would do to demonstrate your ultimate power? Would you, would you change the laws? Would you increase the taxes? Would you launch a war? 
Would you build a palace? One of the biographers of Jesus noted that Jesus found himself in this very position in, the, in his final days on earth. This is what we read. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. So he got up from the table, took off his outer robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. You just picture that for a moment. The most powerful person in the universe taking a knee, humbling himself and generously serving. And this is what Jesus did with his power. He served those who would later deny him. He was faithful to those who betrayed him. He forgave those who condemned him, and then he chose to die for those who would kill him. And so we're just going to close our time together with communion. It is a reminder of Jesus' death and resurrection and his forgiveness and love for all of those who would trust in him. And I think often when we think about Jesus' power, we sort of thinking, we, we think of it kicking in on, on maybe his resurrection, you know, boom, out of the grave. But Jesus' power was there all along. In fact, when he hung on the cross, it looked like Jesus was powerless, but the truth was the world had never before seen such a demonstration of power. What no one realized was that power would only show its full force when it was used to empower others. And that's what Jesus demonstrated on the cross, that real power takes a knee. Real power washes feet. Real power turns the other cheek. It gives the shirt and coat. It goes the extra mile for the sake of another. That's essentially what, what Jesus did for you. And he calls us to do the same for others. So I'm going to invite you in a minute to the tables at the front and, and at the back. And uh, as you take a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice, I encourage you to thank Jesus for his sacrifice, for his humility, but also for the power <clears throat> that he gives you to empower others. So when you're ready, feel free. God, it just blows our mind that the most powerful person in the world would wash his followers' feet. He willingly gave his life so that we might live, and he proved his power by conquering the grave. So we ask that uh, we would show humility, generosity, and service just like Jesus did, that we would live out in his power. This week, the places we go, the people we meet, that we would have that power that Jesus gives us, power to empower others to live in love like him. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. Really hope that it's been uh, encouraging, uplifting, maybe empowering, and um, yeah, that you've just had a, a good connect with Jesus and all that he brings. We've got um, some people over in the corner here on the couch, which will happily pray for you if you want to talk further. We've got some tea, coffee, refreshments afterwards, so feel free to stick around and enjoy a catch-up, chat, meet someone new.